That first week after the funeral, our house was besieged with visitors. They came at our porch in twos and threes, parents holding their children out in front of them like shields. My father suffered their sympathies better than I would have expected. He even invited some of our neighbors in to sit for a while, and sometimes, if I were nearby, he would call for me to come stand by him. I did so, reluctantly, however. It's not that I didn't appreciate our neighbors' kindnesses, I did. But even at the tender age of twelve, I knew that few of these people actually meant the things they said. Most had come only because they were curious, or because they felt obligated in some way. Some came to gloat. When the Cochrane twins came to visit, they sat one on either side of their mother, their hands tucked primly under their two white legs. Mrs. Cochran handed each of us a card with a picture of Jesus on it and told us we ought to pray for my mother's soul. I wanted to ask her what she meant by that, but my father's stern look kept me quiet. Marnie Hawkins patted me on my head as if I were a small child and told me how much I reminded her of my mother. I can only imagine how you must feel, she said. But I guess your mother must have had her reasons. Lord knows life can be difficult sometimes. When our neighbor George Hoover came to call, he sat on our couch and staunchly returned my father's scowl with one of his own. The old man didn't say much, but then he rarely did. After five minutes of gruff silence, he stood and told us he had cows to tend to. He said this in a way that made it sound like cows were more important than people, and I suppose to him they were. But then, just before he stepped off our porch, the old man turned to me and smiled. Don't listen to what the mother's is saying. He cleared his throat. Your mother was a good woman, a lot better than most. I don't know why she did what she did there at the end, but that don't mean anyone ought to falter for it. Understand? As the onslaught of visitors diminished to an occasional annoyance, I began venturing outside to play again. Sometimes my father would sit on the steps and watch me, his cigarette turning to ash in his hand. Other times I could see him through the windows, a shadow wandering from room to room as if he were looking for something. As the days passed, we went to work and to school, to work and to school, and then to the store when supplies ran low. For the most part, we kept to ourselves, going through the motions, my father called it. I suppose we might have gone on like that forever. We first saw the whales on the evening news. A young reporter with hair the color of straw stood at the end of a low bridge, the railing behind her crowded with people. Whales had been spotted here, she said, and the crowd had come to see them. As she spoke, the camera zoomed in on the water below. At first there was little to see but ripples and weeds and the occasional duck necking for algae. But then the mother whale appeared out of the depths, her baby close beside her. The two whales broke the surface together and turned, tails sending twin plumes of iridescent droplets into the air. Mama had always dreamed of seeing a whale close up. But even though we lived close to the sea, she never had.
When I was young, we took road trips almost every weekend. Just after my 11th birthday, the three of us drove out to the coast. We walked together along the base of the dunes, each of us searching for hidden treasures in the line of debris that had washed up onto the shore. Daddy found a toy truck with Chinese writing on it, and Mama unearthed a plastic doll. The doll was missing one arm and most of its hair, but Mama kept it anyway. The missing hair gave it character, she said.